Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet. This is Trevor Maxwell. And with me as always is muted Mike Riggs. <laughs> He's still muted. Still muted. No, uh, no. There we go. I didn't even remember pushing the mute button on that one, but hey, Mike Riggs, yeah. I'm here, finally. He's here. All right. So, hey, uh, our, our guest today, I want to let him introduce himself, but awesome dude. Um, you know, he actually runs a couple of other podcasts himself, and, and one of the things uh, that we chatted about, we'll, we'll dig into it more, but uh, Richard Kaufman, Richard, go ahead and uh, say hi to everybody. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Richard Kaufman, also known as a Comeback Coach. And I'm so honored to be on you guys' podcast. And Trevor, when you were on my show, you dropped some serious knowledge bombs. So I'm going to drop that uh, episode so you guys, people can listen to what you guys, what we talked about. Yeah, awesome. I'd love, yeah, that'd be great. And I, I you know, liked, uh, like coming on there too. Something that you and I talked about, your, your podcast, you have the vertical momentum and what's the other one? Success, your why powers your how. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to both of those lately. I've been so busy recording stuff and I haven't had a chance to catch up on your latest episodes, but I'm going to hop on there because uh, I got some driving ahead of me this weekend. So, But um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and you and I talked about this, like we hopped on a, a Zoom call one day and, you know, we were just, you know, bullshitting and you were like, hey, you know what? It's weird. I've invited other podcasters on my show and a lot of them didn't want to do it. And he's like, I didn't understand why. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about that today. Like, why would people rice bowl something like this? I just think that it's kind of like, you know, I was big into the whole world of professional wrestling. And I think when attitudes get involved and egos get involved, people just think, oh, well, they're going to steal my audience. But when people don't realize that, you know, we're all in the same ocean. We're just different fish. And if we could just get into that and, and that's a, a great way to build your podcast. Cause now I've, now I have upwards of 250 episodes. Um, it's a great way to build your audience by having your them come on because they don't know you, you don't know them and you can start building more relationships instead of just trying to keep everything to yourself. Yeah. That's cool. Cause we're on, uh, I think, I think yesterday we recorded episode 17. So you got a little bit of ground on us there, but so how did, how did you get into podcasting? Well, this is a little thing, a little tidbit for you guys that are listening that it, if you have over 10 episodes, then you're doing better than 50% of the podcasts in the world because the average podcast only last eight episodes until they drop off. But anyway, um, I started doing it because I was in the health and fitness industry and I would get new products in and I would try them and I would give my reviews on them, my honest reviews on them. I'd, if it tasted like shit, I'd say, listen, product's great. 
tastes like ass. And but a lot of people started to follow me because I knew they knew I wasn't going to BS them. But then I became blind January 30th of, of last year. Uh, yeah, yeah, last year. And um, I got my own depression. And then I started thinking the best way to get out of a depression is to hear somebody somebody else's story. Because there's an old saying that the man with no feet can't complain to the man with no shoes. I mean, opposite way around. So what I did, I started interviewing veterans that were, you know, had like both arms, both legs blown off and are right now sitting in Aspen skiing and enjoying life. So that's where it all started from. And that's and it's just grown from that point on. Yeah, we get to work around a lot of those guys, especially back in our days of operational time with folks like Taylor Morris, you know, one of the few surviving. I think he's one of five surviving quadruple amputees during the Iraq Afghanistan wars. I mean, that dude, I knew him as a new guy because we used to ride ride him pretty hard because he was just a he was a really good new guy, uh, really ambitious, still is an ambitious guy. But man, you you uh, talk to that guy, you, you know, you've, I've seen him speak on on TED Talks and, uh, you know, I'll see him every now and then at the EOD memorials and things like that. But that guy is such an inspirational story and just to be around that guy just motivates you and i I see where you're coming from yeah yep so so that's where it all started from and then from there the best the guests just kept on getting bigger so down and the reason why i started i would have kept my the other podcast but for some reason after 230 episodes um, apple didn't want me on their their platform for some reason and kept kicking me back. So that's why I had to start vertical momentum so I can get on all the, the big, the big platforms like Apple. So now we're finally on there. So now everything is transferring over to vertical momentum. Nice. And you, you have, you've had some, some good guests on there, John McCaskill, which, you know, we had on ours. I've known him for several years. He's on our foundation alumni, like Mike's about to be here in a couple of weeks. Um, Mike, Mike, you were talking about Taylor Morris. I was, you just reminded me of a funny story where him and uh, a couple other dudes that I won't, I won't say their names, but it was all three new guys. And we would see them out. Like when we go out in Virginia beach or Norfolk and it was like, they had three shirts between them and they just rotated every night they went out. <laughs> I used to bust their balls about that all the time. Well, see, but, now if you're in business, you better be wearing your own swag. If you're yeah. not wearing swag, then there's a problem. Funny story. I just made some uh, this week, and and hopefully the next time Mike and I do some recordings, we'll have some uh, Get to Vet t-shirts. And uh, I think we're going to try to, you know, at least send one out to all the other folks that have come on the, the show and, and share it with them. Just as kind of like a, hey, you know, thanks for coming on and, and talking about that. Well, you said because I have a, a Facebook Monday Night Live show that I do every week. You know, I'll rock it. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll send you one, too. I'll... Appreciate it. <laughs> so, hey, I, I, you know what? I, I may be a lot of things, and loyalty is at the top of my list. You know, being from New Jersey and being from Italian family, loyalty is everything. Because if you're unloyal in some factions, you can get killed. So for me, loyalty is everything. And once we're friends, it's friends for life. Yeah, I like it. Well, so tell us a little bit about your your kind of journey as a veteran, because that's, I mean, really the, the whole point of our show 
is to give folks who are, you know, transitioning out some perspective. Maybe they pick up something that they didn't know before. Okay. Well, for the first part of my career, um, if you guys, I mean, I'm talking to you guys, you guys been a squad leader, you've been in squads and you've all had that one guy that was a piece of shit, right? Yep. That was me. The first half of my military career. Um, I was that piece of shit. I was that dirt bag. Um, that was, I was the guy that you never wanted. Um, but the only thing that saved my ass for the first couple of years is because when we got out in the field, I was the man, the myth, and the legend. I didn't worry about sleep. I just worried about getting the mission done and having fun. So that's what saved my ass for, for, for a couple of years. But they threw me out of the military the first time for being a drug addict and an alcoholic. I got back in the second time. Uh, I did get back in the second time, which is pretty rare. Um, I got back in the second time. Uh, they were due to throw me, throw me out for a second time. And on uh, at the end of September of 2001, but um, to give a little backdrop, where I'm sitting right now, I'm actually overlooking where the twin towers once stood, and um, so on the morning of 9/11, my whole life changed exponentially, and because I was going to be en ended up was going to be thrown out at the end of September, I called and begged my first sergeant, my company commander, to keep me. And thank God that they did. I'm still friends with my company commander, so we still talk. But after that, you know, I got busted from E4 to E1 like five times. Got two field grade Article 15s. But the same, the person I was on the morning of September 11th was not the same person I went to bed at on the evening of September 11th. So I met my company commander. Like I said, I begged him to keep me. Thank God that they did. Within four years, I became a non-commissioned officer. I won Soldier of the Year, and I ended up with over 23 years between National Guard and Army time until I got hurt on duty, which is why if you guys can see me, I can't see you because I'm blind. I need this to read anything. So that's my career, and I had a hard time with transitioning. Um, actually, uh, the talk that I did, I think it's going to be TED Talk. Um, I actually attempted suicide Memorial Day 2012. And that's when uh, that was my, part of my transitioning story. So, so that's me in, in a nutshell. Yeah, man, that's I like that because I, I hear that all the time about, uh, you know, kind of today's day and age. People are like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. And, you know, just it makes me mad. I'm like, that's bullshit. Like you can you obviously did it. You went from being busted three times to being soldier of the year it just shows you like when you you know when you put your mind at doing something like you can do it now I, I think about that with me with quitting smoking right i basically just one day it clicked for me i was like i don't want to smoke anymore and it wasn't that hard so yeah. that, i've that, been i've been clean and sober now 32 years uh, new year's eve so I, I get the whole smoking thing and people don't realize if you if you quit smoking, it's harder than quitting drinking and drugs because so many different chemicals that are in there that actually makes you become more addicted. And people don't even realize that what's inside the nicotine. So what do you think now that, that you've gotten into the podcasting stuff? How has that, uh, you know, because you, you've, you've had a lot of great guests, like some of the people that I've seen on your show. I'm like, man, that's 
That's awesome. What do you think uh, since you've started doing that over the last year has kind of changed your perspective? Well, like I said, you know, I mean, I only have a ninth grade formal education. Um, you know, I've read over 5,000 books in my, my time, still read about five or six a week, even though I can hardly see. Um, but, you know, I'm getting an MBA in business every single day because here I am talking to seven, eight, nine figure earners, and I'm getting to get all their knowledge and I can ask whatever question I want because it's my show. So I'm, 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 I think I'm learning more. And I'm also, I'm learning how to get guests to come on the show and not be that spammy guy that everybody hates. You know, if I said, like you said, if I, if I sent you an email, say, hey, Trevor, you know, we're the number eight veteran podcast in the world. Uh, you need to be on our show. You look at that email like, what an asshole. But if I said, hey, Trevor, you know, I love your podcast. I would love to have you come on the show to talk about your show and what you have going on. You're more likely to respond to that email, right? Yeah. So that's that's the big change I think that I'm seeing, because I, but I also have a lot of, of mentors that are in the podcast industry that I'm taking bits and pieces and, and and molding it into what I'm doing. And if you don't have mentors, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need a bigger room. You know, very wise saying. Very wise. Yeah, that kind of goes into something, was it, I think it was yesterday, Mike was talking about the deliberate discomfort, uh, always be challenging yourself. And that was, you know, for me, that was, personally, I was kind of like, I don't want to go do something like I did when I was in, I don't want to do anything related to EOD when I retire, because I've already done that, I've known it, you know, I know it, I know I can do that, but you know, I kind of felt like had I just gone and, and taken the easy route and gotten one of those types of jobs, I would have fell into that, you know, unfulfilled veteran stereotype where I, you know, just grow a huge beer belly and come in, do my work, don't work out anymore. And, you know, I knew I was like, I got to do something where I'm going to stay hungry and keep going out there and getting it. And so, you know, when Mike and I made this decision last year to start doing this, we were like that. We we're like, yeah, we have no idea what the hell we're doing, but uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, mine started out as fun and then it became all right. You know, a thing came out that we were the number number eight veteran owned podcast in the world. And then I started getting stressed out because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm only number eight. I got seven more spots. And then I forgot that I have to enjoy what I'm doing and have fun with it again. So now I'm actually starting to have a little bit of fun with it. But, you know, like podcasting, it's it's weird because like I'm, we're all we're involved in a couple of groups together. And there was somebody in one of the groups I invited on the show and they're like, "Nah, I think you're too small, blah, blah, blah. And then I, you know, I interviewed General Petraeus and then all of a sudden he emails me, hey, bro. Uh, how about I come on the show? I'm like, uh, no, bro. Hey, bro, <laughs> kiss my ass. <laughs> I'm interviewing next week one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, no, thank you. But it's amazing how, um, and the funny thing is, like, I did this whole interview with General Petraeus, right? It was one of the best interviews ever. He emails me, he's like, uh, you can't release it. I'm like, 
what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, because I just got informed that I'm going to be going for one of the top jobs in the government. So I would appreciate it if you wouldn't release. So I sat back and I'm like, damn. But then my wife said, do you realize that like one of the top generals in the world just put you into his trust factor that if you don't release that episode and you keep to his word that you're going to have a friend for life in a higher government. And because I didn't release that episode, now I'm interviewing one of the joint chiefs of staff. So it's kind of like sometimes you just have to, you know, it's all about building relationships in podcasting, in my opinion. The integrity factor. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. crucial. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's just business in general. Like, you know, don't, don't screw people. I think that's one thing that military people can, it's one of those things you can fall back on. Like, Hey, you remember how to not screw people over. Right. Like that's, that's still a thing out in this because I feel like a lot of active duty people think it's just completely dog eat dog out in the business world. And I don't think that's a hundred percent true, especially in the veteran community because vets love helping other vets. And I, I mean, I say it all the time because it's true. You, you know, if you're not out there, some people want to get out. They don't want to kind of do the stuff like what we're doing right now. Uh, that's fine. Um, Cause there's plenty of us who do, but you know, the folks who are getting out, like link up with those people. Cause they, you know, they get a kick out of helping you, right. There's a, a sense of fulfillment there for them that um, you know, because they get to give back and, and help you out. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? But unfortunately, there's people, you know, we all know it, especially if we're on LinkedIn, because that's where I do most of my work. Hey, somebody sent you a connection request. Boom, not even 30 seconds later, later, a whole full page of how they're going to, they can improve my business. And I'm like, hey, bro, or girl, you know, how about dating me? How about asking me out instead of asking me to marry me? And I see that's one of the biggest problems in business right now. Yeah. is everybody's using that pray and spray mode and not building relationships. Yeah. I, I see that a lot. And I have talked to people about that as like, just, yeah, no. Uh, Cause you know, we're, we're all pretty much, I think at this point saturated with uh, all the emails that, you know, want to help you grow something, whether it's your business or, you know, other things. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, hey man, let's let's connect. Let's hop on a Zoom call and you know, drink some coffee or or something together and and see if that's a good fit. Like you don't, I guess that's a mistake that I made, and I talk about that a lot too. When I got out, is I always tried to make everybody a client, and now I I don't do that. I look very specifically at like who are people that I want to work with, and I don't, I'm not pushy, right? I hate that, like. I went to go buy a, a new vehicle a few months ago and I got really pissed off at the first person I talked to because he was just your stereotypical cheesy car salesman. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. And the manager called me and I was like, you guys have no like respect for people's boundaries. And, and I get it. That's, you know, those pushy sales tactics. That's what they're used to. But uh, in, in this day and age, that is probably the worst thing you could do if you're prospecting online for business is sending me a big long email and say, Hey, I help people grow their business. I'm like, Oh, cool story, bro. Like I went to buy a car. I went to go buy my Dodge Ram 
and I walk into the dealership. And of course, you know, now I, I got a credit score of like 800, 850, whatever. You know, and I got like 10 grand to cash in my pocket. So I, I know that I'm pretty much, I can do what I want to do when I get in there. And uh, the car's deal, the car salesman, I'm like, hey, bro. I said, let me see your car keys. Let me see what you drive. And he was driving a Toyota. I was like, next, go. Beat it. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, bro, if you do not believe in your product enough to drive it, then I do not believe in you to sell it to me. So a lot of times, you know, you have to believe in what you're doing and believe in your product or else a lot other people are not going to believe in it also. It's funny. Like when I was a kid, you know, my dad liked to always go look at cars. It was like a hobby. So now whenever me and him are together, we go look at cars all the time and I read about them and stuff like that. And probably 98% of the time I can go to a dealership and it doesn't matter whoever walks up to me. I probably know more about that vehicle than they do. Um, I think that's a, a really good point about that being, and you know, for me, that was one of my personal failings early on. I had a, I call it my murder meeting and it's, it's for me, it's one of the defining moments of my post-military career where I went into this meeting with somebody who was a, you know, potential client and I started talking to them and they had a lot of questions, a lot of really good questions that, you know, if I were to expect to, to win their business, I should have really known the answers to, but I didn't, I was very young in the business. I didn't know anything. And I thought like, ah, I can do this. This is, this is going to be easy. And by the end of that meeting, I just felt so deflated. I went and met my wife and one of the boys at, uh, at a restaurant nearby for lunch. And I got there and my wife was like, Oh, okay, we're ready. And I was like, I'm, I'm not even hungry right now. <laughs> I just feel so low. But the thing that I took away from that is like, you know what? I'm never going to let that happen to me again. Like I'm going to go out and learn how to do this better. And you know, never, I don't ever like that feeling. Oh my God, that was terrible. And I know people have to, everybody has that once in a while, but I guess it's, it's what you do with that afterwards. I think that's, that's really important and will define your success eventually. And once you, and once you stop learning is that's when you start dying. Uh, you know, that's what, that's in, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like the group that I'm involved with, with my skill bridge. And we have CEOs in there, people who've founded, you know, established businesses and sold them to, like Amazon, we have, you know, uh, tons of folks that Trevor and I work with, you know, an NSW, uh, fighter pilots, doctors. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing amongst this group, but here I am. Uh, and like you said, you know, I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of homework to do because, uh, I really got to establish why I'm even there and prove to myself why I'm there in, you know, establish, I think my own self-worth with, to be even involved in that circle of those people that are so accomplished. Like I said, you know, especially in a podcast, you know, there, there's a reason why 50% of the podcasts don't go past 10 episodes because it's work. It's real work, you know, and a lot of people don't want it. They just think you pick up a microphone, and you talk, and that's just not the, the real world. That's not the real way it goes. So I think that's why a lot of podcasters fail is because 
they don't realize that there's a lot of work you got to put into into it to be successful. Yeah. And I, I thought that was funny uh, when we were talking earlier. Like you put that thing up on LinkedIn about how your podcast is in the top 10% of the world. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And then I was like, I wonder where mine and Mike's is. And I was thought it was going to say like 50 or 60%. And then I saw like we were in the top 10% in the world. <laughs> and I remember texting Mike and I was like, do you want to hear some crazy shit? And guess <laughs> what? I, I, I just, I sent him that picture and I was like, we are <laughs> like, we're in the top 10%. 10% of podcasts in the world. And then I looked and like, oh, I wonder where Joe Rogan's is. And his is like the top 0.1%. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, we got about 9.9% to go. But, uh, well, you know, like one the biggest compliment anybody, they wrote me a review on uh, Amazon. Uh, I mean, on Amazon, duh. I mean, on uh, Apple. Um, and he says, this guy is the Joe of Joe's. I was like, wow, how cool is that? <laughs> to be known as the Joe Rogan of Joe's. So, you know, stuff like that is the stuff that kind of, when you're having that down day and you're like, is it really worth doing another episode? It's, it, it's stuff like that that kind of just brings you up and be like, all right, I got this. Oh, and I love have, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have people, you know, I go on Little Creek now and people will stop and talk to me. They, they It used to be talk about EOD stuff or talk about uh, whatever, and now people stop and talk to me about this podcast and, and then uh, somehow through what, you know, 17 episodes, um, <laughs> I, you know, you, you become a subject matter expert on transition, which I'm obviously not <laughs> because I'm still going through it myself because I don't retire until October 1st, but, you know, immersing yourself into this through something such as a podcast has been so uh, it's such an educational tool for me as well, you know, and then just pushing that out through the medium of the podcast, you know, just like, you know, when you read something, yeah, you can retain it, but if you have to read it and then you have to write about it, you have to form ideas and put it back down on paper. It's the same thing that we do with the podcast and then bringing folks like you on that are, you know, experts in their and other fields, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal mixture and I think it works great transitioning was probably the hardest thing for me. Uh, that was the, probably the, the biggest struggle I think ever in my life was my transitioning out of the military. Yeah, that was definitely the most stressful time of my life. Um, I, you know, probably just because of the way I did it, I came back from deployment and had, you know, four months to, to get everything done, include turning the team over. So yeah, I, I feel you. You know, for me, obviously it was stressful. I know Mike's going through it right now. Um, he's, <laughs> I think he did it a lot better than I did. Um, you know, I was, I talked about that on the last time we did a podcast. I just kind of like ran face first through the brick wall. But it, for you, like how, kind of tell us your story. Did you know, how long did you take, you know, did you use any resources to help you do the transition? Well, what happened was, um, I got ran over um, by a Humvee, ran over my right side of my body, ran over my head. So I had an ocular stroke. So that's why I can't see. I couldn't see. And the military thinks, well, hey, you can't see, you can't shoot. So we don't need you. So, of course, they put you in this warrior transition unit and uh, for like a year and a half. And then the day finally came 
uh, and it was Memorial Day 2012. And I knew they were going to, you know, retire me out. But um, the day when they finally they brought me in and said, you know, Sergeant Kaufman, uh, you're no longer a member of the United States Military Service. Uh, can we please have your ID? You know, I went out to my car and this is my sewage. This is this is what what, what actually went viral. And this is why we had our own uh, mental health summit last weekend, um, because it all started because it is. Um, so I go I get out to my truck and, I, you know, here I am. You know, I lost my vision um, and I lost my career because once once I got back in, everything was Sergeant Kaufman, everything. I went to every school. I went to every training. Um, I never missed a drill. I was early for everything. And then to, you know, get thrown out the first time, then get back in, you know, soldier of the year and all that stuff. And then, you know, becoming an NCO and trying to be the best NCO I can be. And then to have it all taken away from me. And I didn't know who Richard was. So what happened was, uh, this kind of gets me emotional and I apologize, but sometimes people need to hear this stuff. It's real, real talk. I, uh, I decided I was going to uh, uh, kill myself that day. Uh, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, you know, I don't know who I am. I don't know who Richard is. And I just can't take it. So I bought, like I said, that's when I bought the brand new truck. And uh, I decided that um, I was going to call my wife because uh, I knew I was never going to hear her voice again. Uh, I knew that I was going to commit suicide that, that day. So my plan was, you know, Mike Tyson says everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That uh, I was going to get the truck up to 100 miles an hour. I was going to put it on cruise control, turn the radio up, and then just let it go off the embankment into one of the concrete barriers. So I called my wife. I knew I wasn't going to talk to her again, told her I love her. and Because uh, we were supposed to meet each other down the shore and hang out with the kids. So I uh, got in the car. Got the truck up to 100 miles an hour, put on cruise control, turned the radio on, closed my eyes, and I felt the truck moving, slowly, slowly moving. And now I had a nine-month-old baby at home, and a song called uh, I Saw God Today came on, and it just shocked me into reality. And I opened my eyes, and I, I cut the wheel. And I obviously brought it down below 100. I called my wife and I said, honey, I said, you know, I, I need help. If I don't if I don't get help, I'm going to end up eating my gun. So I got home Monday and and um, called the VA and and I got therapy and I've been in therapy with the same therapist for the last uh, 11 years now. So uh, that's when I had to decide I had to start relearning who who I was. And, you know, because like my our, our friend, you know, Sergeant Nick Valentine says, you know, once you get out of the military, the military doesn't give a shit about you. Your phone stops ringing. You know, you're no longer sergeant first class, whatever. You know, you're Joe on the street. And that's when I had had to start figuring out who I was and who I wanted to be. And that's how this led to everything that I'm doing now. I, I had because I noticed that a lot of guys when they get out of the military, you know, they miss the camaraderie. And, but they also miss having a mission. And that's why I think a lot of soldiers commit suicide because they're lonely and they no longer have a mission. So that's when my mission was to start helping other people. I think you bring up a great point 
because when I, I worked up on Capitol Hill in 2019 and, and the, the veteran suicide is still an issue it's, it, and, and back then it, the, the folks on Capitol Hill were, were really looking into it, you know, and they, and me being a defense fellow and an active duty guy on Capitol Hill in my office, you know, they of course came to me and, and it was always, you know, what, what do you think? You know, what do you think? What's the, what do you think the issue is? Why are folks doing this? And, you know, I started, the only thing I'm a data nerd. So, you know, I went and, and I looked up like how many people were in the United States in world war two and it was 140 million. And, and, and in like the height of world war two, there was 12.2 million or so people, men and women serving in the military at that time. That's a lot. So it was like eight, I have the data in front of me, just so I jotted in my, I jotted down my notebook at that day, you know, 8.7% of the population of the United States was serving at that time. So when those folks got out of the military and they were walking down the street and main street America, no matter what town it was, you can guess, you know, one out of 10 people that they would walk by either under had served or, you know, uh, you know, they had an understanding of some of the things that, that we all share. And a lot of the folks that listen to our podcast, you know, they, they understand the things that we've been through. And, and I think that's key. Those folks also went on to make motorcycle clubs and they would go to the American legions or whatever. My, my grandfather was a world war II veteran in the Navy and he was the head of the Shriners and he was in the American Legion. I mean, he, he ran, uh, you know, the, the softball, uh, slow pitch softball for some of the, you know, a lot of the East coast. I mean, but it was all those world war II vets and man, they were, they were the world war II guys and the Korean guys, you know, and then later on, you know, the shitty things that we did with the, the Vietnam vets, uh, was absolutely terrible, but, you know, I still think that, you know, when you look at our population right now, we're up to almost three, we're, I think we're over 335 million or, or close to it. It's less than a half a percent of us, of the population, you know, are served or, or are serving or have served right now, you know, and it's, it, it's hard to find each other. And I think by maintaining these types of relationships through, you know, the podcasting and, and being there for each other as we get out and, and maintain those relationships outside the fence is absolutely critical to belonging and, and maintaining that mission. I think of what you're talking about. I, I agree. And, you know, cause, and like I said, I've talked to, you know, everybody from, you know, regular army all the way up to Delta force to Navy SEALs. And they all have the same thing when they get out is they miss the camaraderie and, you know, and, and they miss the, having a mission again. And sometimes it's, you know, like one of my, my friend, James McNeil is, is an author. He wrote a, a book out, which I'm promoting for him, which I make no money. Off. Oh, and now the funny thing is on a podcast, because I'm doing everything the way you're not supposed to do it on a podcast. Um, I make zero dollars off my podcast on on purpose. And I have 20 sponsors. So you figure that out. But he has a book out. It's called Finding Your Personal Mission. And it talks about how sometimes when you get out, you have to find a new mission in life. And I think once you find out, that's why when I put, you know, started my first podcast, your why powers your how, because once you find out what your why is, then now you just have to figure out your how. 
And a lot of people don't figure out their why. And I think that's why they take their own lives. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, <clears throat> I'm not going to go into details, but I uh, recently found out that, you know, a, a person that I had served with uh, had recently attempted suicide and, and glad, you know, that it wasn't successful, but you know, I still think about that. Like, man, what I, for me personally, I've never dealt with that. I've never had that feeling where I felt like, you know, that, that I wanted that. And I guess, you know, for me, I was like, okay, I, I accepted like, Hey, I had 20 good years. I did a lot of stuff, you know, my kids will probably never realize how cool I used to be, or at least in my own head. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things I, I hate when we talked about this yesterday, I was like, man, it breaks my heart when I hear people being afraid of, of that next chapter of their lives or feeling like their lives are over because they're getting out of the military because it's like, man, this was, yes, it's, it's a big part in shaping who you are, but it, it doesn't define who you are. It's, it's something that you did and you can be proud of that. And, and, you know, lean back on a lot of the things that you learned, but you've got the whole rest of your life to live now. And, you know, it's hard to move forward if you're always looking behind you. And, and it's tough. I mean, like, you know, the reason that Mike and I, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about was a former teammate of ours. Um, and I think that was kind of, for me, the start of me starting to make the decision to retire, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Scott Dayton, was on his what was probably going to be his last deployment. He was, you know, a couple months from coming home and he was killed. He was the first American to be killed in Syria. And it's Thanksgiving night. I just got blasted, you know, by like five people all at once. Like, hey, man, we're sorry about Scott. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? We're sitting on my mother-in-law's back porch after Thanksgiving dinner. And when, when somebody called me and told me, I just started bawling and, and, you know, Mike was the first person I called cause you know, Mike was our team chief and I told him about it. And, uh, over the, the course of several months after that, I was kind of thinking about that and I was like, you know, I think one of the things that he really liked that Scott really liked was brotherhood. And I started getting this idea in my head of, you know, that's something that a lot of us who had kind of lived during the height of the Iraq and Afghanistan, we had that very intense sense of brotherhood because we all had that one purpose. Everybody was focused on that one thing. Like, how do we make sure guys don't come home in body bags? Some of the older guys are kind of like, man, I feel like that's kind of going away now that the wars aren't hot and heavy anymore. People were worried about, you know, haircuts and uniforms again. And that was hard for me to really, you know, even as a senior enlisted guy, I was like, it's hard for me to really care about that when a lot of, you know, my formative years were, were during the height of height of the wars. And I was deploying literally, I was home for six months, deployed for six months for literally years of my life. Um, so it's like, it's tough for me to give a shit about that because to me, I'm like, I don't care if, some guy's hair's too long. I want to make sure that that guy is going to, you know, make sure he doesn't get somebody else killed. Um, and I kind of felt like, you know, my, I feel like it's probably better for the newer generation. If people that have that attitude, like me just kind of make their way out 
and figure out ways to contribute and, and hopefully keep that spirit of brotherhood alive in other ways. Well, see, like for me, you know, I was the worst garrison soldier ever. Yeah. I mean, but you get me out in the field. I was the guy you wanted. I was the guy that was going to be up at four o'clock in the morning singing, waking everybody up. I was the guy that was going to motivate the whole company. That's the kind of guy that I was. I was the kind of guy that would want to get dirty, get down, get grungy, mess with the 50 cal, mess with all the weapons, have fun. But you get me into garrison and having to worry about not walking on the so on the grass because the sergeant major is mad. It's like, does it really matter? You know, when you start changing and you have, and you know, like back in I, I went in in '86, where like say if me and you had a problem, okay, we take off our 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 BDUs, go behind the tank, beat the shit out of each other, come back, talk it out. And that was the end of it. There was no uh, counseling statements, Article 15s. It, it, it's not the same military that I grew up in. And I'm glad that I'm out now. Yeah, I think I wrote my first counseling statement. I had 16 and a half years in and I was a senior chief by that time. Now, Granted, I had been the I've been on the receiving end of several before that time, but the first time I had actually written one was I think it had sixteen and a half years in, and that uh, was eye opening for me, you know, because going you know as you go up through the ranks and you're you're on these small, really close knit teams, peer pressure is probably the biggest motivator of them all because you don't want to let the team down because you're going to have to hear it and you're going to hear it over and over and over again. And so you never had to write them. You just, and, and everybody was frank and honest and brutally honest because, you know, my, like we will watch a, you know, a show and it, maybe it's the military or something like that. And these guys are ribbing each other. And my wife is like, oh, man, those guys are just brutal to each other. And I'm like, oh, that's like the rated G version. <laughs> you, should, you should be in some of the some of the debriefs or some of the team rooms I've been in. We're just absolutely brutal on each other. I mean, and, and then the other thing is don't let them don't let anybody ever know that that bothered you. Don't ever because you're, <laughs> you're, you might as well just be, you know, you might as well be in a, you know, a tank of sharks and you're bleeding out because they're going to get you. And the funny thing is, like, I interviewed a couple guys, and they I'm not going to mention their names. I don't want to out them anything. But, you know, they were in the same BUDS unit as Chris Kyle and as David Goggins. So can you imagine having to keep up with David Goggins? And, 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 you know, because you figure, you know, okay, I'm high speed. Then all of a sudden there's David Goggins and and Chris Kyle right beside you. And you're like, oh, my God, how? How do I ever compare, you know? Well, I know I was thinking about that. What Mike was just saying, the peer pressure. It just reminded me of a funny story. We were getting ready to go to the rappel tower and I had my kit bag and, you know, we get all that PGI stuff and I had like my elbow pads and knee pads and everybody saw my elbow pads and they just laid into, it was funny. It was, it was just for something that's like, well, you you need elbow pads to repel, you little bitch. And it was just like for like a day or two, especially my team leader, Taylor, he just busted my balls for. for, for well, I, think, I just think everything is too PC. You know, everything is like you, 
you can't even run in good cadences anymore. You know, it's like, so what do you talk about now? <laughs> you know, if everything that we ran in basic and, you know, all the cadences that we ran, what do you guys talk about now if you're being PC? You know? I don't know. Yeah, I haven't done that. And I think probably the last time I called cadence when I ran was like dive school. Maybe. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, oh, let's get a, another one when we were at Freefall and you know, we had most of our entire team out there. The two guys who had already been to free fall didn't come with us, but the rest of us were there and everybody's just ribbing on me. Cause I'm like the, the youngest guy at the time on the team. And some guy, he's like, why don't you guys leave him alone? And I just remember turning around and looking at him like, why don't you shut the fuck up? And, <laughs> and he just had this look on his face like, Geez, dude, I was just trying to help you. But here's the thing, though: if 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 people aren't picking on you, there's a problem because that's when we truly can't stand you. If 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 you're not getting picked on, uh, yeah, yeah, gotta help you because there's a problem. There's a real problem there. Yeah. But if people are picking on somebody, yeah, you, you're you're doing pretty good, especially in the small units we're in. And then if you get a nickname, you're in. You know? Yeah. Well, that was, that was something that I, you know, I remember like the, the guys that we would end up kicking out of the community. It just, you would see an attitude shift towards a guy who's just constantly screwing up and people just be like, don't talk to him. Don't say anything to him because we're, we're trying to make sure, you know, he's, he's on his way out and we're not going to give him a reason to fight it. And, and so, yeah, that's what, that was kind of like Mike said, that was my barometer of like, all right, if people are still busting my balls, I'm good. I think I'm all yeah. right. So, yeah. but and it's amazing how the small teams will police their own in, in like the special operations communities, like, like Trevor saying, and they'll, they will identify someone that's not cutting it and don't be that person because I've, I'm, you know, I was, I was also Trevor's command master chief at uh, EOD mobile unit six for a while, you know, and, and that's, one of the things that would keep me up at night, it wasn't the, I didn't, I could give a crap if I ever got fired because I just tried to do the best job I could every day. And if that wasn't good enough and they fired me for it, well, I guess that was meant to be. But the things that really kept me awake were having to make those recommendations or those decisions for those folks like that that weren't, you know, they just didn't get it, you know? And then it's going to affect, it affects not only them, but it affects their wives and their, you know, their kids and everything like that. And you just want to, like you said about going behind the tank, you know, you just want to take them and, and just knock the sense into them. Cause you're like, man, you have this such great opportunity and you just, you're not in the mental space to seize the opportunity and you keep screwing up and all of our efforts to try to fix you are failing. And so we got to cut away. And, and and we, I've I've had to have people pay back massive amounts of reenlistment bonuses, massive, that put them in a, in a really tight place. But that's, you know, it's and it's a shitty decision to have to to make. But you know, and, and when you're dealing when, in the business that we were dealing in, you know, it's a matter of life and death. And you and if that person goes out and kills somebody, then I have to live with that, and and I would rather not. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, I, I something that what he was just talking about made me think of something like every SEAL team building you go into, uh, special forces company, you know, EOD, Moby unit, uh, Marsoc, you know, the, their team building, like they all have whatever it is that they call it, whether it's your Trident or your Green Beret or your Crab for they, they, there's probably a saying somewhere in the building that says like, earn that every day. And because people would be surprised at some of these, you know, higher tiered units that where people get in, they do the basic stuff to be able to get in, but that's, there's still another level of, of, you know, proving, proving yourself. And yeah, just because you were able to satisfy the bare minimums to get into that community, doesn't mean that you're going to stay there forever because what happens is it just gets harder and harder as you get more senior, more is expected of you and you're, you're expected to, you know, perform at a, at a rate than you did, you know, higher before. And if you, if you prove to them that you can't cut it, then they're just like, Hey, we don't, we don't need you anymore. Right. We got a lot of other people who, who deserve better than, than what you can provide. Well, like when I interviewed Brent Gleason, um, author of the book, Embrace the Suck, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, what was it like getting your trident? And he says, in a way, it was depressing because that's when the work actually started. <laughs> He's uh, like, that was the first episode of your podcast that I ever listened to. And he said, you know, you go through a depression because, you know, you everything that led up to getting it. And now, you, you know, you, you're like, OK, now the real work begins and you know like like i said i i, I was just an army guy I, I wasn't that special but you know what every seal that i've talked to you know they always say that you know the only easy day was yesterday and once you just have that mindset that you have to prove yourself every single day i think that's when you can actually learn to start being successful in life in business or whatever you do is you have it doesn't matter what you did yesterday it matters what you do today yeah, and that's a, the interesting thing, like with our community, you know, specifically the EOD community, I know the SWIC community has it too, but, you know, you, you show up after you graduate school and you're a basic EOD tech. And then, like, when I showed up out at Mobile Unit 8 and Sigonella, I mean, you want to talk about new guy. I mean, you'd have folks that would pass by you in the in the exchange. And if you were a new guy, if you were a basic tech, they wouldn't, the master techs and the chiefs, they, they wouldn't even talk to you. You know, it was like, hey, yeah, hey, rookie, we're, we're not going to waste my time talking to you, you know? And so you still have that, fortunately, in, in our community, you still have that stratification that where you're like, okay, now I got to prove myself to be the senior tech. Okay, now I finally got to prove myself to be the master tech, which is, you know, years in the making. But even then, you know, it seems like when I finally made, I made master tech when I was uh, the team chief on, on Trevor's team. And then, but there's always like that next challenge that's coming around the corner that, you know, I, I always say, you know, the, the military tends to praise mediocrity and punish excellence. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was always, yeah. Okay. Mike, do this, Hey Mike, okay. Now do this. And I thought I was done taking boards. And then they said, Oh yeah, well, if you want to be a command master, if you, there's another board and there's another PQS, you have to get signed off and everything else. So I was like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. So Yeah it it's a it's an interesting journey yeah that's why i wish i would have been able to do warrant <laughs> I, would, 
<clears throat> put on and they'd warrant. make you do that they, they'd make you do the officer board depending on who it was yeah yeah maybe so well don't have to worry about that anymore now it's uh you know i'm out here doing what i love and uh i was telling richard you know yesterday when we got done i, I had to cut our recording short because i had a fishing trip planned with uh, my little dude we went out to the pier and we were out there for about three minutes and we had to leave because we were just getting eat the hell up by bugs. <laughs> I, I was hoping to send you guys a video of us catching something and no. But, yeah. I'm going to have to go in about 10 minutes because yeah. actually interviewing uh, a professional wrestler uh, and he actually. Which was, one? His name is Kevin Knight. He actually uh, has a wrestling school and he has a, a wrestling podcast with Dave LaGreca. Yeah. Um, well, well, I was going to say, I, I know we're kind of wrapping it up anyways, but uh, what's, what's the future hold for you, Richard? Uh, right now it's, you know, like I said, everything that I do, like even like I have my own swag that I sell my own t-shirts and hats, <clears throat> everything I do, like I don't make any money off of by, by choice. And it all goes back to helping veterans that are struggling. So right now it's just trying to, you know, save more lives and also try to give voice to the voiceless because everybody has a story to tell. So now I started doing an, a, a monthly episode. It's called um, A Soldier Story. And it's going to be on my podcast. And it's going to get into the deep stuff, you know, that we're talking about. And especially I'm going to try highlighting more female um, veterans because, you know, talking about MST and all that stuff. So I don't know. I just, I just see me eventually, hopefully getting to a thousand episodes. So that, that would, that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, we know a couple of, um, when we had on our show, uh, Krista, I'll, def I'll introduce you to her because, uh, I remember Mike and I talking to her and we were just thinking like afterwards, we're like, yeah, she's going to crush it. She's going to go out and do great things. So I'll, I'll definitely make an intro and hit her up and have her on your show. So yeah. Hey guys, Richard Kaufman, the host of the Vertical Momentum podcast, um, has this uh, has a special place in my heart because that was the first podcast I was ever or, uh, invited to come on. <laughs> and so, Richard, we're glad we got to have you on here. And uh, what's the best place people can find you? Well, first, I got to ask the question, Mike. When are you coming on the show, bro? This is an open invitation. Just Buddy, throwing you, it. You name the time, and I'll be there. All right. Uh, well, one thing, one of my friends, Gary V told me, he said, make yourself a hashtag. So if anybody wants to find anything out about me, all they got to do is hashtag the comeback coach and it'll come up on every social media thing that I do. And it was all because of Gary. Awesome. Yeah. Man, you're friends with Gary V. Yeah, just so, so I've talked to him a few times. That's yeah. No, that dude does a lot of good work. I mean, I know he's helped a lot of people along the way. So, and my, hat, my, my hat is actually sitting in his office. You'll see it on camera. You'll see the wounded warrior hat on in his uh, office. Nice. Well, yeah. we we really appreciate you coming on the show, brother, and uh, we look forward to eventually having you back again someday. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Yep. Take care, man. Thanks, Richard. Right, God bless you. And Mike, it was a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Great talk. All right, brother. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two 
vet.net and let us help you get to vet.